and you know the blessing of that reality. Well, I'm going to begin by putting a question on our screen today, and it's very simple. It's one word, why? Why? Do you ever ask that question of yourself? I, uh, I actually probably ask it too much, and I'm just going to let you into a little secret that I ask the question so much in my home that it drives my wife Heather nuts. Well, I'm going to go to the grocery store now, hon, and I respond, why? And she looks at me like I'm an idiot. I'm going to the grocery store to buy... Yeah, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But I want to know why. Like, is there something we're lacking? You know, why are you going now as opposed to later? Like, on and on it goes. I just ask the question why all the time. Sometimes it goes a little deeper and it's a little more challenging. It's a little more profound. But we ask the question, God, why did you let that happen in my life? How many followers of Jesus haven't asked that question? You know, when the hard times come and we suffer and we're hurting God, you didn't have to let that happen. Our assumption too often is because you did let it happen, you don't love me. But the fact is that it's because he loves us that he let it happen. <laughs> and we got to work through that whole dynamic. I don't know about you, but when I heard about the L.A. shooter, as we're calling them now, who went up into the 30-something story in a hotel and murdered something like 60 people, I haven't heard what the final number is. Didn't you ask the question, Why? I did, like, and I've talked to people, numerous people since, and the question is, what must possess the mind of a man, uh, the mind of a person to do such a thing? Like, what's going on? Why? So why can be a profound question. It's an important question in lots of instances. Sometimes it's not an important question like the grocery thing, and sometimes it shouldn't be asked, but lots of times the question pushes us to deeper levels of understanding and causes us to think. And I want to do that this morning. I want to ask you the question, why, as we finish our vision series this Sunday morning, we've been talking about it now for five Sundays, including today. I want to ask you the question, why? Why are we here as a church? You ever think about that? Why are we in this place, in this time? It's a critically important question because... How we answer the question will, will determine what we do and how we function and what our priorities are going to be, and in the end, how we will impact our community. Many, many churches don't ask the question. They just keep doing what they're doing because they've always done it. But we have asked the question through this vision-forming process in a significant way because until you know why you exist, it's going to be pretty hard to know what to do. And that's why we have formed a mission statement that answers the question, why? The vision statement, which we've reflected on for a lot of weeks, answers the question, what? And I've told you that. If you've been here, if not, go and listen to all those wonderful sermons on our website, and you'll be informed about the what. But the question of why is, is, is introduced specifically in our mission statement. And the first three words of the mission statement are these. We exist to dot, dot, dot. We exist to what? You know, I want to ask you this morning, how would you finish that sentence? I went, what, what would you, how would you complete the sentence? What would you say there? You know, are we here to take care of people? You know, some people have spiritual needs and they need led to Jesus and faith. Other people have physical needs and other people have deep emotional needs. There are all kinds of hurting, struggling, broken people in the world. Does a church exist to care for them? Is that the answer to the question why? Some people might stand back and think, well, the church exists to, to sort of take care of the people who are gathered here today. The church exists to care for the needs of the church. 
You know, so, man, we're looking for good worship service and, you know, programs for my children and, 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 and for me, too, for that matter. And, and, you know, when we need baptisms, as we're going to do in a little while, or, or, or weddings or funerals, I mean, the church is there to serve our need. Is that why the church exists? I want to suggest to you that there are dozens of answers to the question, why? But we have come to a place where we feel we have captured in one sentence, in essence, what we are called to as a church. And I want to march through this sentence with you, uh, uh, this mission sentence with you. I want to build it as we go. And the first expression of it, the beginning of the sentence is, is this. We exist to introduce people to Jesus. Now, you're going to find some commonality with what has gone before. That's consistent in our vision and our mission statements. And you're going to recognize in what I'm going to bring to you today as I give you the mission statement and define it for you that it sounds like our old statement that we exist to connect people to Jesus deep in the faith and change the world. But, you know, we've changed the word connect people to Jesus to introduce people to Jesus. Do you know why? We realize we can't connect people to Christ. Only God can. You know, we, we, it is only God who can open the eyes of people to see their need of salvation. There may be people here today who don't think much of that. Their eyes have not yet been opened, but they can be. And if they are, it'll only because God, God by His Spirit, does it. It is only God who can open our eyes to see our, our sinfulness and our need, our desperate need of forgiveness, which is offered to us in Christ. It is only God that can help people understand at a deep level that Jesus died on the cross for them, so much so that they personalize what he did, knowing that he took their sin to the cross and he suffered their penalty so they will never have to. It's an incredible message of what Jesus has done for us. But it is only God who can lead people to this sense, this understanding, this faith. No, we can't connect people to Jesus, but we can introduce them to him, right? We can do that. And you see, I would suggest to you this is Christ's heart for us. He said in his last words, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize and disciple the Great Commission. He said, get out there and talk about me. Get out there and let people know that the kingdom of God has come in me and they can find forgiveness and they can find relationship with God and they can find hope for eternity. And then baptize them into new faith and disciple them, teach them the things that I have taught you. It's in Jesus' heart that we do this. It was Jesus who said that he came to seek and save the lost. Think about it. His words, not mine. He came to seek and save the lost. How many lost people do you know? Dozens and dozens and dozens of them, I would assume. Now I want to tell you, my friends, when we think about ourselves as the body of Christ, we are the physical, spiritual representation of Jesus in this world. And if that's why Jesus existed, so must we. And as you know from our talks on vision, we've done lots of um, discussion and we have plans about how we all will be trained and enabled to share our stories and we're going to establish satellite churches so that we can go and, and the message of Christ can be known in other communities. We're going to go into community and serve people so that as we build relationship with people who are hurting and broken, they will know the love of God and they will form relationship with us in such a fashion that they'll be receptive to what we have to say about Jesus. And we will be able to introduce people to the Lord Jesus. Second thing, and we're going to continue in the development of our, our sentence, we exist to introduce people to Jesus and deepen our faith. It used to be deepen the faith, but you know, we made a little change which we think is incredibly significant. We're saying we exist to deepen our faith. 
Because, my friends, as the vision says, we are to journey together as the people of God, and we are to share this dynamic reality of what it means to follow Jesus. Never do we do this in isolation. Never do we do it alone. Central to the idea of who we are is the idea of community. And as we encounter God together in community, so we will grow deep in our faith deepen our knowledge of who Christ is, deepen our knowledge and understanding of the word of God, deeper into our commitment to him, every one of us, and deeper into our love for God and for each other and for the people of this world. We gotta go deep in faith. And as the vision describes, as we go deep in faith, we will, we will study the word of God at a deeper level. No more superficial understanding of scripture. It doesn't have the impact that it needs to have. And as we encounter the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit, we will be transformed at a deep level. As we encounter community and fellowship in small groups, we will encounter authentic community where the walls come down and we share the reality of our lives with people and God moves in and transforms us. And we will worship God and we'll go deeper in our worship experience of him and, we, and in prayer and on and on it goes. And it's out of those experiences that God will move us with passion into the world to serve him. But my friends, until we go deep, our lives won't be transformed to the point where we, we will go. Depth comes first. Third expression of the sentence, we exist to introduce people to Jesus, deepen our faith, participate in God's life-transforming story. Now, this has been a huge part of our theme that I have presented you over these last four weeks and part of our journey. Listen, from the beginning of creation until the day Christ returns again and establishes kingdom in its fullness across the face of the earth, which will happen, which will happen. God's story has been told, and it is being told, and it will continue to be told until it is expressed in its fullness and in its completion. And my friends, I want to tell you, God invites us to participate in that story. He invites you and he invites me. He invites us as a church and he said, will you come, will you enter in? Will you participate with me in what I am doing in this world? And the question simply becomes, will we participate in what God is already doing? And the fourth element of the sentence is this, we exist to introduce people to Jesus, deepen our faith, participate in God's life, transforming story, and then serve others at home and around the world. We exist to serve others. We exist to serve and to not be served. Remember when Jesus said that he, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many? Can I ask, how do you live your life? Do you live to be served? Or do you live to serve and to give your life, to give your life that many might be ransomed? That the kingdom of God might be built in power. You see, it is as we embrace the role of servant and not the served one that the kingdom comes in power. And the God story unfolds. It is as we get focused on and passionate about serving others that God moves through us. I want you to think about Noah a little bit. We've, we've obviously been learning from his story from day one in this series. And I want to read four verses to you or texts. One text a little, it's more than one verse. But since the day I began to read this story, literally, over and over and over again, if you want to know how to study scripture, do it with repetition. <laughs> and let God's spirit speak to you because sometimes he just takes some of the words and they jump off the page and you know that God is addressing your life. You know God is present and that God is speaking. 
And, and, and some of these verses are the very verses which God has uh, uh, pointed me toward and impressed me with. The story is simple. God comes to Noah. He says, I'm going to send a flood, and you're going to build an ark. Chapter 6, verse 22 says this. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. How much did Noah do because God told him to do it? Everything God said, he did. Everything that God spoke into his life in faith, this was a man of incredible faith and in obedience, Moses says, yes, God, I will do it. And he did it. Chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. How much did Noah do? All of it. I mean, God came to him and God spoke into his life. And this man, beginning to understand the gravity of what God was doing in this world and the incredible significance of what God was asking him to do, said yes again and again. You see a theme emerging here? Chapter 7, verse 16. The animals, were going, uh, the animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God commanded Noah. And he said, God commanded. He told him what to do. Go get the animals and bring them. And God commanded Noah, and he went and did it. And then chapter 8, verses 15 to 18 say this. After the flood had gone, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives. What kind of sentence is that? <laughs> it's an imperative. It's a command. Noah, it's time to come out. Get out. Don't wait anymore. Next verse. Come out of the ark, you. I said that already. Next verse, please. I'm commanding it. <laughs> As if that ever makes any difference around here, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, we've got a technical glitch, and I'm going to go to the book. Tell me if it changes, okay? Uh, 15, I'm going to read from 15 of chapter, what did I say? 8. Thank you, thank you for your help. Then God said to Noah, God speaking again, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply in the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. God has given a command. Listen to this. So Noah came out. Like time and time and time again, God spoke and Noah did. God spoke and Noah did. God spoke and Noah did. Should I keep going? This was a man of incredible faith and a man of incredible obedience to the voice of God in his life. And as a result, he ended up participating in the God story in a remarkable way. And life was carried on in this earth and the will of God was accomplished. You see, he was invited in and he said, yes. I want to tell you this morning, I'm going to be asking you people, will you be willing to hear from God and simply say yes to him by faith and obedience? Because when we as a church hear from God, and when we as a church say yes to him in faith and obedience, understanding the incredible thing he wishes us to participate in, we are going to jump in with both feet. And we are going to, with passion, do what God calls us to do. Now, there were consequences in doing so. Some of this is speculation and has grown up around the Noah story, as I have suggested to you. But was he mocked as a fool for building a ship where there was no water? Probably. It doesn't say it in the story. I've looked lots of times. It's not there, but probably. Was he out of step with his culture in terms of morality? Was he out of step of his, with his culture in terms of purpose, purpose and commitment? Definitely. I've even thought, how did he pay for this huge ship? Life savings? I mean, he lived like nearly 600 years at this point, so hopefully he has something in his RSP account, right? 
But it's probably that, you know, where, how did, where did it all come from? It's likely that it cost him dearly. But this one thing we do know that when God spoke into his life and he lived in faith and obedience by saying yes, it changed the course of his life. It changed everything. It changed his priorities. It changed his lifestyle. It changed his focus. I said a few weeks ago that, you know, we don't really know what Noah did before uh, hearing about him building the ark. Remember, I don't know if you remember, was he a farmer? Was he a carpenter? Was he a shipbuilder? I said, we don't know. Guess who was wrong? Because it says in chapter 9, <laughs> having read the story repeatedly, you know, verse 20, it says in chapter 9 that after the water receded and Noah came out of the ark in obedience to God, that he planted a vineyard for he was a man of the soil. I just think that's really cool in inner kip and area. How many men of the soil exist here? Put your hand up. How many women of the soil exist here? Come on, put your hands up. A lot of you farm. That's what Noah was. And he, he, he was a man of the soil, and he, he, he loved growing things and planting a vineyard and so forth. But I want to tell you, after the call of God, after God spoke into his life, something else captured his heart. Something else captured his passion and his attention and his time and his energy, and that was doing exactly what God had called him to do. Living for that. He stepped into God's story, and it became the agenda of his life. It's all about getting this ark built and surviving a flood with animals and then creating a new expression of humanity. Last week, I drew attention to the parallel between Noah and the ark and Jesus. If you were here, you might remember that. But we live in the knowledge of Christ as we read this story now. And we see that as, God, as salvation was necessary, that God provided a means of salvation through the ark and Noah and, and through his obedience. Now the Lord Jesus has come to provide the ultimate means of salvation for those who will simply trust in him so that they can avoid judgment and so that they can become part of that new humanity that God is forming and will form and live with through eternity. I want to read to you Romans 5, 18 and 19. Listen to this. Consequently, just as one trespass, think Adam, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, think Jesus on the cross, resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the, say it with me, obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. My friends, I want to tell you that Jesus stepped in, if you would, to the God story. And he, through obedience, produced the ultimate salvation that the world required. And then after his death, he rose from new life and, 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 and he ascended to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit and he established his church. So listen to me. Generation after generation after generation, by the power and enabling of God's Holy Spirit, the church might in obedience participate in the story of God which is at work in this world. And if you want to know why we exist, it is this very thing. God is on mission in this world. God has a passion for this world. God wants to see this world transformed so that the kingdom comes in its fullness. God wants to see people have their eyes open to see and understand salvation. He wants them introduced to Christ, and he wants them to come to faith. And he has established his church that, again, we might be the body of Christ, that we might do exactly what Jesus did when he was here. 
through obedience and great faith, step into the God story that the world might be transformed. That, my friends, is why IPC exists. I've got a question or two for you today, as I often do. And number one, very simply, will we be such faithful people as was Noah, recognizing the enormity of what God is about, and by faith, simply say yes in obedience to the call of God in our life as a church? And a secondary question to that, and it's no less important, but it is this, is the vision which has been presented, the vision of a bunch of elders, most of whom sit before you right now, myself included. Is it a vision of the elders or has it become the vision of this congregation? On a personal level, has God spoken into your life and given you a vision for what you might do to see this vision realized and accomplished? See, it's so easy to just sit there, oh yeah, go man, Chris, great vision, I love it. But not hear from God saying, hey, this is what I want you to do so that the vision becomes a reality. I spoke a few weeks ago on, um, on leadership. It was one of the elements of our vision. And I was in a sermon where I, I think I took five elements uh, and spoke to you about them. And after the service, <clears throat> again, unless we have leaders trained and raised up in order to give effective leadership to all of our ministries, this vision will not succeed. It'll fall flat. Leadership is a spiritual gift which needs to function in the church. I'm preaching it again. So I went out in the coffee time afterwards, and, and a woman came to me, and, and she said, um, you know, Chris, when you get that vision process up, on, up and running, I want in. Call me. And I said, am I talking to a leader? And she said, you are. And inside my heart, because I never do it outside, inside my heart, I did a little happy dance. <laughs> you know why? Because God had spoken into someone's life and said, this is my call upon your life. Will you by faith and obedience say yes to me? And she knows where God wishes her to function. My friends, the reality is, <laughs> the reality is that it is as we get caught up in God and in God's story simply through obedience and faith that this church will be powerful in the hand of God. Will there be consequences and will they be real? Yes. Don't enter into this naively. Um, it will require your life changing in order to say yes to God. Think of it as it exists right now. No one who has stepped into the God story can expect their life to stay the same. No one. The purpose will change, the priorities will change, <laughs> the focus of your life will change, your job might change, it might not change, I don't know, but the reality is the purpose of your job will change. It'll be to bring the kingdom of God and so that others will know Jesus and so that you can serve in the workplace on and on. Now think, think about the characters of the Bible. Think, think about Gideon and how his life changed. Think about Moses, transformation for the rest of his days. Think about Noah, of course, I've spoken to that. Think in the New Testament, think about Mary and Joseph who were so close to Christmas now and we all kind of freak out, right? But think about their lives. They'd never be the same, but they said yes to God and they stepped into God's story and their lives were transformed. Think about a, a man named Saul who would become Paul. Think about Peter who would become the great leader of the church. I could go on and on and on. There is not one example in Scripture where people by incredible faith said yes to Jesus in obedience and didn't see their life transformed, built 
around the call of God. I'll tell you one thing, that the focus of your heart will change. It won't be about money anymore, and it won't be about comfort, because this requires sacrifice, and yes, we'll probably get mocked. And it won't be about your popularity, and it won't be about you keeping a good reputation, and it certainly won't be about yourself and your own well-being. That all dies when we say yes to the Lord. What the heart, desire, and passion will be about, will be about is about God and his will, and us responding in faith and obedience to what he has called us to do. I want to throw in very quickly, because this is so important, that not only will there be negative consequences, if you would, if you think of them in those terms, there'll be incredibly positive consequences. Chapter 9, verse 1 of Genesis says this, and I'm going to abbreviate just for the sake of time and not go into detail. You can look at it later if you want. But then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. When we say yes to God, when we live in faith and obedience to God, we become the people who are blessed beyond all others. And didn't Jesus say exactly the same thing? <laughs> he called it life abundant or life to the full. He said, you know, if you do this, if you lose your life, there you're going to find life. Life will become everything that you were created to know, and it will be filled sometimes with struggle and difficulty, but with great purpose and with great joy and an incredible connection with the living God as you unfold his purposes in this world. I want to finish simply by asking the question, do you see what I'm talking about? Can you imagine if we become a church who understand the why and who, who embrace the what and hear from God, each of us, literally, and know specifically God's calling in our life, and together we come before him and say, Lord, we are willing to say yes in faith so that your purposes might unfold in this world. We are willing to literally take the command that you have given to us and obey you so that my life, our lives, become what you wish them to be. Let me put it another way. Can you imagine if we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Noahs in this place? People of that kind of faith, people willing to make that kind of commitment of their entire lives to the purposes of God? Vision. <laughs> we are talking about a church that would transform its community and its world. And we would be a church in which the power of God moves in incredible ways so that people are introduced effectively to Jesus, <laughs> so that we are deepened in faith in profound ways, so that as we participate in what God has called us to, we will be serving in that world of ours out of love for people who are broken and in incredible need and out of a passion to see this world become what God in his heart of hearts longs for it to become. And I'm just, I'm just going to ask you today, you know, living the story. That's our byline. Are you willing to live the story? Are you willing to get into the presence of God and say, Lord, I've heard it and I like it, but how do you want me to participate in it? You know, at the staff meeting this Wednesday, uh, we were praying, as we always do, and um, Carl, our executive pastor, prayed something. It's like, oof, wow. And he prayed something like this. I don't know if you're going to remember. But uh, Carl said, God, don't just let the vision be words on a wall. 
I thought, oh my goodness, because I realized that's what the vision might be in the end. It's possible. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to see the vision plastered on that wall in the atrium. Covers a big area, a lot of words. Can I ask you, in all honesty, is that what the vision is going to just be? Just words in a wall? Or is it going to take root in the lives of God's people? Is it going to capture their vision, their minds, their, their imagination, their hearts? And are God's people, as a result, like Noah, going to say yes? An incredible faith and in, 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 in an obedience to the Lord, his purpose for their life. Because he has spoken, because he has acted, they're willing to say yes. I want to finish today by... And we don't do this very often. Maybe we should do it more. But I want to finish today by giving you about a minute of silence in the presence of God. I, w I want to ask you to be quiet because the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And if we will just learn, and it's a hard thing in this culture to be silent in his presence, his spirit will speak as one day his spirit spoke to Noah. And I want you to think about all that you've heard over the course of five weeks and just say, God, what is your command to me? Where is it that I can express faith and obedience in your presence right now? How is it that I might allow the words of the vision to be written on my heart <laughs> so that it captures my life and I give myself to seeing your salvation come into this world in a way that it wouldn't if I didn't say yes to you? So let's just take a minute now in the silence of this place and open your heart and your mind literally to the Spirit of God. If you don't quite know what I'm talking about, enjoy the silence, that's okay. <laughs> but I would invite you to, to be in the presence of God and see what does the Lord cause you to think of? Where does he take your mind? What is it that he is willing and wishing to say to you that you might say yes to him? So let's pray. I'll conclude in a minute. Lord, there was a day when you spoke into Noah's life and it forever changed him and it changed his life, the direction of his life, the focus of his life, the passion of his heart. And Lord, it doesn't say in the Bible how Moses responded in a personal way to that call. It just says that he obeyed you by faith. He did everything and all that you called him to do. And Lord, there may be people here today who are considering this and 
there's even fear in their hearts because, man, that's, that's heavy-duty stuff. That I don't know what my life will become. And they're not convinced that it would always be good, but God, I pray, we pray together that you would give us wisdom and courage that we might be the people of God in this place, in this time, in this generation who hear from God and by faith just say yes. And yes, our lives will be transformed, or yes, our lives will be changed, but Lord, they'll be changed so much so that we find life abundant. So that instead of holding on to what was and losing life, as Jesus says, we will be people who let go of life as it was and enter into a new life so that we might find life. Life abundant, life eternal. Lived in relationship with you, lived in the journey as Noah lived in the journey with you seeing you do mighty and profound things in working your salvation into this world such as happened with Noah. God, I pray for every person here today. I pray that you will speak clearly into their lives by your spirit that they might know what you are calling them to do. Lord, if they have to persist in listening and if they have to talk to people and if they have to, to pray about it some more, I just pray that you'll lead them into that journey. But I pray that in the end, they will know what you are calling them to do. And I pray, Lord, that you will give them the faith and the guts to say yes to you in obedience. And I pray, Lord, that this church will be filled with Noahs, filled with them, of people who have laid down their lives in obedience to the call of God, to see you, our God, bring salvation into our world in a powerful way. So, Lord, let this not be the end of something. Let this be the beginning of something for all who are gathered here. Open up their eyes to see with passion how it is that you wish to use them, their gifts, their time, and their energy, and their heart to do your work in this world. Lord, we long to be faithful to you. We long to be a church which steps into the God story and gets used in a mighty way to bring your kingdom. Lord, we pray together and we pray in the name of Jesus that you will make this a reality here. Take us forward, our God. Bring the change that is required. In every respect, Lord, bring the change that is required that we might be used in, in a powerful way for your sake. Our God, this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to share together in communion this morning. And communion is and has always intended to be a powerful moment of God's people in his presence. I use the word powerful. I'm thinking of that song that we sang earlier. The powerful name of Jesus. Um, I would suggest that's God's intention for us. One of the ways that he empowers his people is through this meal. So long ago, the Lord Jesus sat around a table. It was probably different than this one, but it was a table where they shared a meal together. 
the night before he would die. They would betray him. He would be hanged on a cross. He would suffer and be beaten and whipped. Ultimately, he would die hanging on a cross. He knew what was about to happen, and he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. He said to them, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to send a comforter to be with you, but I'm going away. He knew what was coming. He had stepped into the God story, and through obedience, he died for the salvation of the world. He died for you and for me because he knew that you and I would need to be forgiven of our sin. It's a very real thing in the life of every human being. And as I hope you know, one sin will keep us from heaven. It doesn't matter how good you are. It's not a matter of stacking up the brownie points so that you have more good points as opposed to bad points. One sin, and as we've read today, all of us have been ushered into disobedience and judgment. And God knew the only way that we might be saved is that Christ would come and shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, his body broken, that we might know life. And on that day, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And I say it to you today. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Never forget. And the Bible says, in the same way he took a, a, took a cup and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sin. And he had these disciples take the bread as we will in just a minute. We'll do it all together. And they ate the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and they drank the cup representing his shed blood. I want to suggest to you, my friends, when we come to this table, we are reenacting something powerful. The new covenant in my blood, Jesus said. God's ultimate commitment to us and our well-being God coming to us and saying, I'm doing all, all that is in my power for you. So as you hold this bread, remember his broken body for you. Remember that he allowed it to happen. And as you hold the cup, remember what Jesus did for you, that you might be forgiven of your sin and be ushered into this thing called the kingdom of God, the family of God, the, the, the body of Christ, you become his through the work of Jesus. And you become his simply by believing in it and what he did for you. This is an expression of deep faith which will lead us to a place of great gratitude and worship. For as we contemplate Christ and we recognize his commitment to us, ultimately, where, where does that take us? It takes us to a place of incredible thanks, so much so that we, can, we say to him, Lord, everything for you. And if it requires sacrifice and if it requires change of life and if it requires a new heart and a new way of being, yeah, I'll do that.
because I am in covenant relationship with you. And as you are mine, so I am yours. That's what we're about to do, my friends. And I challenge you, every single one of us, not to do this lightly. Don't do this as some ritual that you've done for a long time or maybe a ritual that you're entering into even for the first time. Do it as an act of faith and obedience to the God who has called us. Before we distribute the elements, let me pray. And we'll confess our sin to God for this we must do. Father, we come into your presence uh, just um, so aware of your being with us right now and so aware of the power of the bread and the cup <laughs> and a recognition of what Jesus has done for us. And now, Lord, what we do in response to his command. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, impact each of us deeply as we hold the bread and take it, as we hold the cup and drink it. Lead us to that place of worship as we reflect on Christ and his work for us on the cross. And lead us to that place of self-sacrifice, of laying down our lives for you out of gratitude and out of love for what you have done for us. So yes, Lord God, we pray that you would forgive us for all of our sin. Cleanse us. Make us righteous in your eyes once again. Pure. See in us the righteousness of Jesus because we confess our sin to you now, Lord. For all our sin is washed away in him. Forgive us for our sin. And bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name.